Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Brought to us every week by our friends at By the Yard Outdoor Furniture. In studio, good morning, by the way, is Mary Meyer. Good morning, and, Denny. And good to see good you to again. Be here. What a beautiful weekend we yes, have. Yes, perfect huh? for gardening. And you have a hunch that we're going to be busy on the show. Not that we own I think so. Usually. People are thinking about gardening. Yes, they are. And if you're new to the show, thank thank you for uh, for joining us. Mary is a, a member of the horticultural science faculty member at the University of Minnesota Extension Horticulturist. Among other things, she helps us out a lot here on CCO, helping our listeners out. And if you do have a question, they're already I didn't give the number yet, and they're calling Mary six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. We talk lawns and gardens, and we do get busy. So if you have a question, I urge you to do it right now six five one. Nine eight nine nine two two six. Send a text if you prefer. That's eight one eight zero seven eight one eight zero seven. We'll of course uh, once in a while talk about uh, the uh, uh, landscape arboretum, like we always yes. do. What's going on there? By oh, way? so much is in bloom at the arboretum. The daffodils are out. We have a wonderful collection of daffodils. You can see right as you drive in the arboretum, and we have a kaleidoscope display mm. up. That it's amazing. It's a kaleidoscopes. Uh, that view uh, flowers, and you can turn these and look at them, and they're, it's really amazing. I saw for the first time at the uh, State Fair, there was one in the horticulture building, really? and they were amazing. And so we have these at different heights with different uh, flowers uh, inside and outside at the Arboretum. So that's one of the two uh, exhibitions this summer. And then Tree Houses is going to be coming uh, later this right. year. That sounds so, like fun. Yeah, but lots of things in bloom. Great time to walk at the Arboretum. What a great place. Texter says this, Mary, poinsettias have some toxic properties. Is it okay to put them in my compost pile? Yes, it is okay to put uh, poinsettias in your compost pile. They are um, toxic to uh, to animals and humans, but you have to eat a huge amount of this, and they have that latex sap in them. Not very palatable, not very pleasing. Um, I don't really recall ever hearing an instance of this actually happening, but uh, the toxicity level is is very low. Oh, good. Won't uh, won't hurt anything, and will decompose in your compost pile. Before we start our phone callers, uh, here's a text. We have red twig dogwood bushes. How and when should they be trimmed? Yeah, you can prune those right now. Um, the red twig dogwood, the it seems like the newer, younger stems are redder, and so the more you prune it, the more new growth you get on oh. that and the brighter color you get. So you can do that right now. Very good. All right, let's go off to the phones. Ken in Apple Valley is first up here. Ken, you're on CCO with Mary. Hi. Yes, I have a um, I have a, a lime green smoke bush, and I dug it up yesterday, and I took it from my backyard and I put it in my front yard, and uh, it was in the ground in the backyard for a good two years. It was in kind of a raised garden area, so it really didn't get deep roots, um, but it did grow quite a bit. So I put it in the front yard, 
and a bunch of peat moss and some fresh dirt. Should I fertilize that? Uh, what are the odds of that taking off this year as far as leaves and that? Um, or did I just kill it? Well, I don't think fertilizer will be the limiting factor. The limiting factor will be the roots uh, adjusting to the new location and getting enough roots when you transplanted it. And you may have even inadvertently altered the growing, the depth of how those roots were planted. So that's kind of a challenge. You, You indicated it might have been kind of in a raised area before, and if you kind of buried it deeper than it was, that might be difficult for the roots to adjust. So fertilizer at this point is not what it needs. Uh, It just really needs um, an an adjustment for the roots as a whole. So, you know, if it wasn't really big, and I'm assuming it wasn't that big if you were able to transplant it, you you might be, it might be okay. So just wait and see. Time will tell. Yes. Right. Thanks, Ken. Excuse me. Uh, Norton is calling from Golden Valley. Norton, you're on CCO. Good morning. Hi. I was wondering, you know, I do square foot gardening, four by four squares of vegetables up at my cabin. And I was wondering, what is the best to add to those squares to, for vegetables? I know you see bags of compost and you see bags of cow manure and different kinds. What is best to use? Well, it really depends on what your soil test uh, report shows. So we know that vegetables pretty much are going to need nitrogen applications every year, but phosphorus and potassium is much more unknown and not necessarily needed every year. Uh, Compost is a good source of organic matter and a small source of nutrients, so you can usually add compost on an annual basis. But as far as additional... um, more um, intense fertilizer, like the uh, chemical fertilizers, it's hard to make a recommendation without having a soil test. And you can get that. Yes, you can get that from the U. Uh, We do a lot of soil tests there. You can go online at uh, extension.umn.edu, click on garden, and there will be links there for the soil tests, uh, how to take a soil sample in your garden, and then uh, send that in. So it's, I think it's the current price is $17 for the soil test. And it takes a couple of weeks, but uh, we still have time before uh, planting your uh, uh, warm season vegetables, tomatoes, and things outside to have a soil test yeah, this spring. It's a good idea. Good, it's to a, have. It's good information. Ex- yes. Otherwise, you really don't know what you're dealing with. Yeah. Uh, texter says this, Mary, my rhododendron bushes have only three blossoms this year. What can I do this year so I have better blooms next year? Uh, it it could be fertilizer in uh, this case. Uh, if you have a plant that's established but uh, fails to bloom, you could try fertilizer. There's fertilizer specifically for acid-loving plants like rhododendrons, and you can uh, find those at a garden center. Um, and it it does... Um, uh, rhododendron is more of a challenge for us in Minnesota. We have alkaline soils as a normal in the Twin Cities and most of Minnesota. And rhododendrons prefer acidic soils. So your pH might be on the high side. So using an acid-loving fertilizer uh, is probably a good idea. But here again, uh, if you don't know what you're dealing with, the soil test is really the way yep. to go. Very good. Mary, we have to take a quick break. We have more show to come. Those folks on the line, hang on. And you textures, uh, you hang on as well. We'll uh, pick up on both calls and text messages right after the break. Heading for a high today of 68 degrees here in the Twin Cities. Right now on CCO, it's 48.
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our Smart Garden Show here on 830 WCCO. In the studio with us is Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota helping us out from time to time. And Mary, as usual, callers and texters, enough to keep you busy for probably three more hours if we had the time. Uh, Let's help out some folks on the phone. Connie is uh, calling from Burnsville. Thanks for waiting, Connie. Yes, good morning. Morning. I have a garden area that has a lot of moss in it this year. What brings this on, and what do I do to get my soil back to a good state? Well, moss is difficult. Moss is often growing where there's poor drainage and poor lack of sunshine and uh, high moisture. So this, uh, the last few months, we have had good moisture conditions, and I've had a lot of questions this spring on moss and how to get rid of moss. And I actually had one woman who said, you know, I could actually call my whole garden a moss garden. (laughs) And I said, you know, people have done that. And in uh, Japan, there is a famous, world-famous moss garden that people line up to see. But um, if if you don't want it, you have to really figure out why is it growing there and how are you going to improve the sunlight conditions or the drainage conditions that are there. And if you don't really change those, you're probably fighting an uphill battle. So if it's um, an area where you can plant a ground cover like lamium or wild geraniums or hostas and things like that, uh, you might be happier with those plants growing there than moss. But if you can't improve the drainage and uh, change the amount of light that area gets, I'm afraid you're going to continually have moss. Mm. All right, Connie, good luck with that. Bob is calling from St. Paul. Uh, Bob, you're on with Mary. Uh, Yes, I got a couple rental properties and it's student housing and uh, it's hard to grow grass either in the front yard or backyard because of compaction. Any suggestions? And if it was at home, I'd water it more, but it's hard because of student housing. So thank you. Well, the impaction, the compaction can be improved by aeration. And so renting an aerator, um, using a turf grass like uh, perennial ryegrass that's especially suited for heavy traffic areas is good. But when, once you seed these areas, they have to um, remain undisturbed for a while. So you need to rope this area off if there's a lot of heavy traffic. You know, if this continues uh, and people walk over this area, it's compacted, abused, you might want to consider going to something that's like a mulch or or really quit trying to grow grass there, If especially if this is something you have to do on an annual basis. You can also look at the traffic patterns and maybe uh, put walkways or install areas that aren't grass and keep uh, that will help to keep people on those areas. So um, if it's in full sun, though, and uh, you don't have to do this more than once a year, then then a perennial ryegrass with aeration is a good idea. Very good. Texter says this, I've seen mothballs in some perennial gardens. Can you tell me what they ward off and can they be used near all plants? Well, they, the smell of mothballs is, is somewhat offensive to some animals. Uh, if you have them in large quantities, they sometimes will repel rabbits or deer, other small animals that are feeding. But outside, it's difficult for them to really make uh, much of an impact because uh, they evaporate and it's a huge area outside. So that's um, kind of a hopeful treatment for uh, pest control, but not necessarily. Uh, that effective. 
Moss uh, comes back into the picture here text-wise. Can we rake our lawn now, or is it still too early? Lots of moss in the lawn in their areas. Can we let it go? We're really not that fussy, the texter says. <laughs> yeah. Well, you could you could let it go. Um, I, and I didn't mention to the previous caller, yes, you can rake moss and try to remove it. Now, moss has a uh, – if you don't remove that moss, those small bits will just act as seed to, to reseed the moss. So if you want – if you want to rake it, you really need to remove the moss as much as possible. But uh, aeration, uh, improving compaction, and then seeding with a lawn grass that's right for the exposure you have. Uh, I like the fine fescues. They're a low-maintenance grass. Um, But in this case, it sounds like if it's more moisture, you might go with Kentucky bluegrass or uh, perennial rye grass. Let's go back to the phones, Mary. Enoch is calling from St. Paul with... Our question of the day. Go ahead, Enoch. Hey, how you doing? Morning. Um, quick. Good morning. Say, um, we moved back to St. Paul in uh, September, and our lawn is not a lawn. It's uh, basically a, it's all creeping Charlie everywhere. I mean, from front to back. <laughs> what, what's the best solution for that? Do we just rip it up and start over, or is there anything we can do? Any advice? So if you have predominantly weeds and, and not uh, grass, and you want to start over, the best thing is the total kill, like glyphosate, to kill everything that's growing there in your lawn. That takes a little while for the chemical to be taken up and do the total kill on your lawn. And then um, getting rid of the duff that's there and having good seed soil contact and seeding again. So the best time for lawn seeding is uh, August 15th to September 15th. It really is not in the spring. Uh, you might treat a small area with a broadleaf weed killer, and that might expose the actual amount of grass that's there. Uh, sometimes you can't see how much grass is really there because the weeds are more conspicuous. So you might in the spring now try treating and control a small amount of it or uh, look at total renovation. So we have the total renovation recommendations up online at the extension.umn.edu website. Yeah, we'll mention that. Uh, it's a again big too. project. It really is. It, I, yeah, I know somebody. It was several years ago that did what you said. Used the Roundup, I believe they used, killed everything, and I don't know if they did it themselves, but they ended up clearing all that out and put sod down. Yeah, no, sod is an option, yes. And, of course, sod, uh, we have a lot of sod farms in Minnesota, and and most new lawns in Minnesota actually do go in by sod, although I I personally like uh, seeding for a lawn. But that is one way because you're going to be uh, turning up a lot of weed seeds. And in that new soil, it might look great, and you put your seed down and think this is going to be great, but there are thousands of weed seeds in there also that you're going to have to compete with. That's why we recommend the fall for new lawns because the weeds are not at an advantage. The lawn is at an advantage in the fall. The grass will grow better then. All right, very good. Good luck with that, Enoch. Thanks for the call. Uh, do, 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 what's the best? I know we have to take a quick break here, but what's the best time to split iris? Mine underperformed last year with blooms, and I think they're too crowded. Well, the ideal time for iris is, is kind of unusual. It's, it's the end of July. So it's really after they bloom in the spring. Um, in your case, where you know you haven't got a good uh, flower set or good um, uh, 
healthy plant there to begin with, you could do it right now, but you really won't see any blooms this spring if you do it right now. But iris tend to go dormant in kind of the end of, toward the end of summer, late July, uh, early August. Very good. All right, hang on, Mary. Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota helping us out. We have another half hour of the show to go, so don't go away. Those folks on the line and the texters as well. 651-989-9226. A line is open if you want to fill it or uh, send us a text at 81807. Currently at uh, 48 degrees here on CSU, heading for 68 today, sunny and warm, and we could hit with more sunshine tomorrow, 70. You stay tuned to 830-WCCO. Good morning. Welcome back to this portion of our Smart Garden Show, sponsored by our good friends down near Jordan, Minnesota, that make the best patio furniture in the whole world. It's called By the Yard on this Earth Day. They're right in line with that. We'll talk about uh, that great furniture coming up. Mary Myers in studio from the University of Minnesota, helping us out from time to time like she does. Mary, lots of callers, lots of texters. Let's get back to it. Uh, Lloyd is calling from St. James, Minnesota. Go ahead, Lloyd. Yeah, um, thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. I had a question about how to best way to sow wildflower seeds when it seems like uh, such a small amount is supposed to cover quite a few square feet. So that was the question. That's a great question, Lloyd. And yes, you're right. Wildflower seed tends to be very, very small, uh, sometimes measured in uh, teaspoons or tablespoons at the most. And yes, so a good idea is to bulk it up with something. You can actually bulk it up with something as simple as sand, or you can use compost, or you can use an organic uh, type of fertilizer. So any of those materials will help to bulk it up. And so if you can put the sand or compost in a bucket and then put the uh, wildflower seed in that, mix that well, then that will help you um, to to spread it. And I assume you're going to spread it by hand. The other thing is that uh, the seed needs to have good seed soil contact. And so um, where you're putting it down, if you can do some preparation so that the seed actually lands on soil, that will be much better. Very good. Good luck with that, Lloyd. Uh, Amy's calling from White Bear Lake. Amy, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I planted um, one of those endless beauties. And endless whatever. summer. Yeah. Thank you. Hydrangeas um, in my front yard, and it's not an ideal spot. Um, it has rocks, so all, all of my perennials are dug into rocks, and it is not doing well. You know, the first year, I didn't expect it to do great. The next year, it came back. And it blooms, but then I get no flowers. They just dry out. And it gets sun in the afternoon. So it's facing, let's see, it's facing west. Yes, so um, it's it sounds like you've got two issues here, Amy. Number one, you don't have the most ideal conditions for growing things because rocks and, and so on in the soil is not bad, but will only really work for plants that like a lot of drainage and don't need as much moisture. And number two, the endless summer hydrangea is not a easy plant to grow. So you've kind of got two two difficulties going on here. So I would urge you to um, think about other things you could grow in that area that like well-drained soils, like um, uh, um, 
herbs like and lavender and uh, some of the perennials that, that will tolerate drier conditions. So you'll, I think you'll have better luck with those. And I don't think it's you personally. I think the hydrangeas already, that one is pretty difficult to grow in our climate. It likes moisture and it likes uh, slightly warmer conditions that we have. So only in the best of conditions will you find endless summer doing well. Now, I will say there are, that is one of many, many, many kinds of hydrangeas. And the other species are a little bit um, easier to grow. The ones, they tend to be bigger shrubs, though. The paniculata and arborescence are much easier to grow than endless summer. Very good. Some good tips. Thanks, Amy. Uh, Donna is calling in from Northfield on CCO. Donna, you're on with Mary. Hi, Mary. I love your show. I have a question about amaryllis. I grew them, and now I want to plant them in my garden. The stems are still on, and they're like two feet tall. Do I just let those dry up, or do I cut them off? As long as the stems are green, you can leave them on. They will naturally dry to brown, and once they're brown, sometimes they easily come right out, but then they'll uh, stop the photosynthesis. So you want to keep them in uh, good light conditions. Many people take them outside, uh, gradually get them used to outdoor conditions, and, and grow them outside in the summer. Okay, and there are knobs on the end. What are those? on the end of the stem now, where the flowers were? Yeah, those are the seed pods. So you want to take those off because you don't really uh, want the energy to go in the seed pods. You want it to go into the bulb. Oh, okay. Very good. Thank you so much. All right, and thank you for the call. That leaves the line open, 651-989-9226. Text number is 81807. Here is a uh, text, Mary. Uh, Wondering if I can have a clematis in pot all summer. Northeast corner of the house, but fairly sunny most of the day. I treat it as an annual due to the rules in our development. Well, good for you. I, I, yeah, why not try this out? Yeah. I was going to say, why are you doing this? And then they told us why they're doing it. So, yes, I would try it out. And uh, you're, you're going to need to water it because it's dependent on you for water in that container. And you're going to need a, to fertilize it. So I would think of a, a liquid fertilizer uh, every two weeks when it's actively growing. But, yeah, try it out. See if it'll work. You'll probably need a support on it because clematis are vine-like, most of them. But, uh, yeah, why not? Go for it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what uh, We should mention the uh, website again for those that maybe are new to the show. We're talking about the University of Minnesota website. Yes, the, the University website. of Minnesota Extension. So our website is extension, the whole word, E-X-T-E-N-S-I-O-N, spelled out, dot U-M-N, dot E-D-U, and then click on garden. So we have lots of information there. Uh, we haven't talked much about Earth Day and planting. No, Our listeners that. are thinking about planting and moving and transplanting, but that's a great thing to be doing today. Uh, if you don't plant something today, uh, you can figure out what you're going to plant. On Earth Day, you can think about what trees you might need to plant around your home, additional uh, flowers or perennials. But uh, we're into the growing season now in Minnesota, and retailers have a wonderful selection of plants. So putting in a plant, deciding what you're going to plant is a great thing to do on uh, Earth Day. On Earth Day today. Very right. good. Great, great idea. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 is it too early, Texter says, to plant annual flower seeds? Uh, it, it kind of depends. Uh, things like zinnias, uh, our warm marigolds, our warm season uh, annuals, I think the soil is too cold for those. Others like bachelor button and alyssum, 
those might do okay. Kind of the same thing with our vegetables, the cool season vegetables. I'm sure some of our listeners have planted their cool season vegetables, lettuce, uh, spinach, beets, uh, things that will tolerate cool temperatures. But, of course, the, the warm season vegetables, we have to wait uh, another few weeks into the middle of May for those. All right, let's see if I can interpret this uh, this rather lengthy text. I've been planting tomatoes and potatoes in a small vegetable garden. I want to give the soil a break from these types of plants, and I'm going to plant them in buckets and planting something in the spring. My question is, if I plant the plants in new soil in buckets and planting bags oh, and bags. dispose mm-hmm. of it in the fall, can I still just set the buckets in the garden space, or will that still affect the soil? Well, the- theoretically, it won't. Your your any disease contamination will remain in in the in the, your soil buckets or soil containers. But if you have foliage that falls off and gets into the soil, uh, any parts of the plant that get into your regular garden soil then uh, that's going to defeat the purpose of the rotation. So uh, I think what the listener is trying to do is rotate crops in a very small area yes. and, and uh, give their soil a rest and instead grow the plants in containers. So in theory, that would work, but it's, in, it's not very practical. That's a challenge that we all face when we garden in a small area. And very few of us want to give up all of our solanaceous crops, potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, peppers, to go to beans and to lettuce and to completely different families. So that's ideally what you do with rotation. You know, you can try it um, and see how it goes and try to be pretty fastidious in cleaning up with your plants and containers. All right. Back to the phones we go. Chris is calling from Golden Valley. Chris, you're on with Mary. Hi, good morning. Morning. I'm going to be um, trying to resurrect some of my lawn this year and want to know if there's a certain order for laying down, say, grass seed, fertilizer, and gypsum? Should it all be done at the same time, or should I, you know, give it a week in between uh, laying it down? Uh, You can do it at the same time. The fertilizer is incorporated first, and then the seed is the last thing that you do. Uh, The gypsum, I would only recommend if you have a soil test that's uh, told you to use that. We see a lot of people, a lot of recommendations for that for soil conditioning and improving the uh, structure of a soil. Um, and, but I really don't know that I've ever seen that that has been beneficial in Minnesota to use gypsum. Now, that's my personal opinion. And gypsum, again, I would only recommend if you had a soil test that recommended that you use that. So you, usually that's not going to help you very much. But the soil test to know what you need to fertilize, then put the fertilizer down, incorporate that, and then put the seed uh, on last. That's, that's the order. <laughs> And for, for Chris, Mary, and everybody else, how do we order a, uh, a, a, a the soil, soil test? test? Yes. Yeah, the soil test, the recommendation on how to take a sample and ordering the soil test bag can uh, be done through the, the garden website on extension.umn.edu. Uh, how to take a soil test is there. Uh, and um, you, you get a special bag, you order a special bag, you fill that, and then you send that back in. What did you say the cost was about? I think it's $17 oh, now okay. is what the cost is. 
It's worth the effort, though. Yes, it tells you sure. the pH, the organic matter, uh, phosphorus, and potassium in your soil, and will give you a recommendation specifically for your soil for fertilizer. That's slick. That's right. good. Mm-hmm. Hang on, Mary. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with more phone callers and texters here on our Smart Garden Show on this Saturday. 48 is the Twin City temperature reading. If you want to get a jump on lawn weed control this year, Weed Beater Ultra from Bonide is a great product. Weed Beater Ultra. It is the ultimate lawn weed control. Now it controls more than 200 hard-to-kill weeds right down to the roots with just one easy application. Weeds like dandelions, creeping charlie, chickweed, clover are no match. Weed Beater Ultra is safe for lawns. You'll see results in as little as 24 hours. And unlike other brands that require temperatures of 65 degrees or higher to work, Weed Beater Ultra works fast in temperatures as low as 45 degrees. It can be applied from early spring to late fall, and reseeding can be done as soon as two weeks after application. Bonide products, we mention this a lot, family-made right here in America. Where do you find Bonide products like Weed Beater Ultra? Well, any good garden center will have it. Let me give you some examples. Uh, Rose Floral and Greenhouse in Stillwater, Dundee Nursery in Plymouth, and for those folks in Newport, John Bartle Hardware. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. All right, Mr. Lee, uh, it's 48 degrees now here in the Twin Cities. Beautiful weekend, 68 the high today, 70 tomorrow. It's going to be great. Back to the phones, Mary Meyer. We've got callers and texters here in our Smart Garden Show. Let's see who's been waiting. Uh, Anne is calling from St. Louis Park. Thanks, Anne. What's your question, please? Uh, I have just been informed that the city is tearing up the street in front of my house, and they're going to come into my yard where I have a lily and tulip hedge. I can dig up three of the plants and save them. What's the best way to save them, just in a pot with some soil on them? No, Anne, I think you'd be better off if you could plant them in another location in your garden. Now, if that's not possible, then you can go to a container. But I would really look around your yard and see where else could you put them. I would dig the hole where you're going to put them before you go and move them from the, the front uh, area of your street. And um, the, the lily and the tulips, you know what's really – try to use a spading, a spading fork rather than a shovel. Uh, with a spading fork, if you hit the bulb itself, you won't take the whole thing out like you'd slice it with a shovel. So try to, to uh, be very careful when you're getting it to not uh, hit the bulb itself but get the roots. So good luck with that. Yeah. Thanks, Ann. Who is next? Uh, John is calling from Princeton with a question. John, you're on CCO. Yeah, good morning. Uh, I got a, a couple of windbreaks by a, a field. Uh, and these are pine trees, tamarack trees, probably 10 plus high. Oh, you're kind of breaking, John, your cell is breaking up. Why don't you back up and tell us the whole thing again? All right, yeah, I got a couple of windbreaks on a field, and uh, these are pine trees and tamarack trees, maybe 10, 15 feet high. And um, we had a grass plant, but last fall they got chisel plowed right up to the trees and tore up some roots maybe inch or so in diameter, inch or less in diameter roots. I guess two questions. First, are, could we lose some of these trees? And second, how far away should the farming practice away from the uh, windbreak? I don't know if you got that, Mary, or not. 
Yeah. So, uh, well, you want to, you want the chisel plow to stay as far away as possible. When you try to put that into uh, distance in feet, you said they're ten to fifteen feet high. So, I would say, you know, ideally thirty feet away uh, is is what you should shoot for, and and hope for the best on that. Um, trees are pretty resilient. And if this was only on one side of them, hopefully they'll come back. And the fact that they're fairly large, hopefully they won't be uh, too disturbed. But, uh, yeah, so I, I would try for a minimum of 30 feet away. Okay. Hope that helped, John. Thank you. Uh, Lois is calling from uh, New Hope with a question. Go ahead, Lois. Um, I have a question, two questions. Uh, the first one is, um, what proportions with the soil or the dirt that do you put? Um, I'm mixing the grass with the dirt. And then what kind of proportions do you use for that? And then um, I was told that now we put down fertilizer about a week ago and told not to plant grass seed until that had been watered down quite a bit. And then the second question is, how do you get rid of moss if you can at all? There goes moss again. There goes moss. So I'm not sure what you mean by mixing grass with soil. If you're talking about a proportion for seed, when you put grass seed down, I think that's what what you're thinking. So um, that really depends on what kind of seed it is. Uh, So the rate per 1,000 square feet, the amount per 1,000 square feet, should be on the label when you buy that. Uh, Grass seed can be very, very small. Kentucky bluegrass can be very, very small. So the seeding rate might be half of what you use for a larger seed, like one of the uh, hard fescue, for instance. So that rate is kind of... uh, kind of tough to just uh, shout out. It really depends on the kind, and hopefully it's on that label for you. Moss is really tough, so raking it out, trying to improve the conditions for drainage with aeration or improving the sunlight that you have there. And then weighting, uh, incorporating fertilizer into the soil before you do your seeding is a good idea. Straight fertilizer in and of itself shouldn't damage too much for the, the regular grass seed, but you have to make really sure that you do not have a weed and feed product that has a pre-emergence That almost weed sounds like killer. that's what they put down. Yeah, so that pre-emergence weed killer, that can be 30 days, really, before that's uh, uh, completely uh, gone. So uh, you, usually you don't seed when you use a pre-emergent weed killer. It's one or the other. Ah, yeah. Very good. Eileen is calling from Eagle Lake. will be our last caller. Go ahead, Eileen. Thank you. Uh, I have two co- uh, two questions. First of all, uh, what's the best all-around uh, fertilizer put in the garden? So for a garden fertilizer, we normally recommend something that has all three numbers, but a smaller proportion of nitrogen than the other two, like a 5, 10, 10. But here again, this is usually based on your soil test. And in Minnesota, we have high phosphorus soils in a lot of our locations. So we know you need nitrogen from every year for growing the vegetables, not as much for uh, potassium or phosphorus. And that doesn't bother the vegetables? It's okay? No chemicals or anything? Right. The the nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium are the minerals that plants need to oh, grow. So there okay. are no pesticides in oh, this. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. And then the other quick question is um, my asparagus that I cut off last year. And do, do those roots have to come out or do they just disintegrate or what happens when the new asparagus comes up? 
Uh, asparagus have a big perennial root system. You can harvest those shoots and eat them, and then there's still enough left for the plant to grow. At some point, you quit harvesting. After a month or so, you quit harvesting and let those spears go to seed. Some of them will start going up and get bigger than you want to pick anyway, but it's a good perennial for many people to grow in Minnesota. Mary, a texter says this, we planted a strawberry Sunday hydrangea last spring, Haven't have not cut it back yet. How much of it do we cut back or do we cut it all the way back? You know, it really depends on your personal preference and what the shrub is looking like. It's a new shrub, so it may not need much pruning um, at all this year. So I, I would wait till maybe the end of the summer and really not worry about pruning it. I'd let it get established. Hydrangeas tend to take off and get bigger after they're a few years old, and then they do need pruning, but not, not so much the first year. Here's another hydrangea question, Mary. I have a large Annabelle hydrangea. I would like to split it. The roots are spreading out. How do I do it? (laughs) Okay. Here is an adventurous gardener. So Annabelle's a a great uh, hydrangea. It's a big plant. It's a vigorous plant. Uh, I don't know if I'd try that. I I think I'd go buy another hydrangea, uh, Annabelle, because this is a big deal to to divide that. If you can chunk it off with uh, your uh, shovel and get uh, a stem that's out there, Maybe. You could also layer it. You can lay down one of those stems on the ground, put a rock on it, and it will root at the end. And that's much easier than dividing a big shrub like Annabelle. Here's one. I don't know. Maybe this, I know we have to, we're almost out of time, Mary. I have a red oak, nine inch with a crack in the trunk from six feet to 20 feet. Some bark has started to peel. How should this be treated? Is that time to call an arborist? Oh, yes. Uh, our beautiful red oaks, I would call an arborist to have them look at that. Uh, you you don't want to do any digging around yourself. And, and if healthy trees are okay with uh, injuries, that if they're healthy, they'll heal themselves. But I would get an arborist in there to look at that. You have a large tree. Uh, it's an investment and something you want to uh, take good care of. Mary, we are out of time. It's good to see you again. Thank you for Great all the help. Great to be here. Wonderful to talk about gardening in the spring when things are growing. Yes, and enjoy your weekend. Give us that uh, website again, would you Yes, please? extension.umn.edu. Click on Garden. Uh, you can find out what's wrong with my plant, what insect is this, what tree should I plant in wet soil. Lots of great recommendations. We'll see you down the road. Yes, Thanks, great Mary. to be here. Mary my Meyer pleasure. From the University of Minnesota. Here it is, Earth Day. Think of how many milk jugs you've had in your fridge. Ever wonder what happens to them? Landfills reaching capacity on a regular basis. There is a a garbage patch in the Pacific Ocean twice the size of Texas. And plastic makes up the majority of this ocean garbage. Enough plastic bottles are thrown away each year to circle the earth four times. And having said all that, plastic is a great resource, inexpensive, convenient, versatile. It's known for its exceptional natural strength and durability. So exceptional it takes Mother Nature 450 years to break them down. By the Yard Furniture turns those plastic milk jugs into beautiful furniture. Beautiful. Not only strong and durable, it's good for the environment. By the Yard Furniture is made from recycled plastic and is in itself recyclable. So take care of the environment. Earth Day, today, remember to recycle and buy recycled by the Yard. Family-owned CCO Land Company, and all of its furniture is made in America. Down near Jordan, Minnesota, as a matter of fact. Visit ByTheYard.net for a free catalog, but I'll give you even a toll-free number. You can call them today, 877-220-0448, 877-220-0448. In the Twin Cities, it's 48.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.